The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. You are listening to judging Megan with your host, Megan judge. So I like to start out my, my podcasts every week with a little story. And this week it's usually like um, I'm gonna. I might bring in Sachin because I don't. He's Canadian, but I don't know if we can relate to this story because I don't know what the best practices are in Canada. But I'm gonna say this: There's many times in my life that I find myself feeling like a moron. Like I know I'm not a moron. I'm a pretty smart girl. People may not think that from high school, but I am. I, I've survived this many years. I, I'm. I'm okay, but. There's there's places that you go to in life and no matter like how good you're feeling that day or how smart you're feeling that day, you are going to leave that place feeling like an absolute moron. And let me give you an example. Um, the post office. Every time I go to the post office, I know when I finally wait in line and I get to that counter that that person behind the counter is going to be like, you are a complete moron wrong tape, wrong label, wrong, whatever, wrong box, wrong envelope. And I just cannot, there's a couple other places. I've given this example before an automatic like car wash where you have to back up. I've gotten stuck in them like 50 million times. Um, the, the self checkout at the grocery store at lazy shout out lazy acres that's my favorite grocery store um and the girl that works there like knows that I've gone up to her and I'm like I know that I'm going to be the person that presses the wrong button and you're going to have to come up and help me and I know I could make this easier by waiting in the shorter line or, or the longer line and not go through this where somebody has to come up and help me but this is what's going to happen so I like to let them know ahead of time that I'm not the smartest person in line but the post office. So I go, I bring my box. I was so proud of myself. I had my own box. I had a label ready to go. I was shipping these dumb Girl Scout cookies that are never going to finish being sold or being shipped. 
this is our last year of Girl Scouts um, because it's my job. It's not my daughter's job. And um, and so I finally get to the front of the line. The two people before me had both been turned away. They both had to go back and fill out their information correctly. And one got in trouble for using the wrong kind of priority tape. So I knew it was bad before I got to my place in line. And this gentleman was not going to be so so nice to me. And the way that I always live my life is kill people with kindness. Don't be a Karen. Don't walk up. Don't start. These people have to deal with morons all day long. So I knew when it was my big turn for before the two people had been turned away before me that I was going to do things right. So I go up there and I was so nice to him. And I said, I know that every time I come here, I always do something wrong. I would like you to know that I'm apologizing in advance because I did something wrong. And I think I used the wrong tape or I used the wrong label or I used the wrong box. And he said, well, you did use the wrong, you did use everything wrong, young lady. (laughs) But he said, thank you so much for how polite you're being. So the point and moral of my story, ladies and gentlemen, is if you just go into these situations in life where you know you don't know what you're doing and you go into them with the the best intentions and just go in and own it. Be like, I'm an idiot. I don't know how to do the self-checkout at the supermarket. I don't know how to put the correct label on a box at the post office. And I do not know how to go through the car wash accurately without going over the thing and having the stop sign come off and honk at you 10 times and the people behind you just shaking their heads. So I'm going to start there. Sachin, yes. can you, do you, can you relate to any of this? Go, go. Absolutely. Tell me. Make me I can, feel better. I can relate on every single level. Um, probably a little bit more than you. Um, when I go to the post office, I put the wrong address. <laughs> so oh, your own address or the wrong address of the person you're shipping it happens um sometimes i have to like go back and to look in my phone to see which address i'm supposed to be putting it down and who am i sending it okay. to um but but so i've experienced all of the things that you're um, just describing right now however i uh i frame it differently okay go go <laughs> so I, i'm just i'm just i'm just honest when i talk to the person mm-hmm. right and I, I don't tell them I'm an idiot. Okay. I just tell them straight up, hey, I don't do this very often. Can you help me out? Because I, I don't know what I'm doing. But that's but that's and okay. Then, so because I don't like calling myself. Well, I enjoy calling myself. I, like calling I like myself I idiot. like to laugh at myself. <laughs> I like to call myself an idiot. I, I know it, I could be nicer to myself, but you're not. At least you're not a Kyle Rising. No. So a Kyle Rising is like a a, a Karen is a Karen, right? You have those in Canada. Yes. A Kyle is a male version of a Karen. So when I say, when I feel myself where I I do have my Karen moments in life, because we all have our Kyle and Karen moments in life. And I feel like Karen is going to bust out. I have to just take a step back and, and say, Karen is rising. This is a Karen rising moment. Take a step back. We all have these moments in life, but you don't want to be the person on video camera where somebody's calling you a Kyle or a Karen. Am I, am I right? No, absolutely. I think, I mean, you're, it sounds like you know what you're doing because I mean, you're, you're present in the moment and you know if something's going to happen and you can, you can gauge and assess your feelings in the moment and you can tell what's going to happen. So that's awesome. 
But that doesn't mean I'm perfect. No, no. And that no doesn't mean any of us are perfect. No. And I know this is a long winded intro. Mm. And even this morning, I knew that I was in a crappy, bad mood. And when I tell my listeners that I'm not always nice, I know I try to always be like, be happy by making other people happy. But sometimes I don't want to be happy by making other people happy. And sometimes I, um, I, I enjoy knowing that there's karma coming in the direction to somebody that wronged me. And I may or may not have done a very not nice TikTok today where I talk about karma rising and care and my Karen, the ultimate Karen came out. And I'm just telling you, it's because I'm not perfect and none of us are. And I can be mean. And Sachin, I think you can be mean too, and you really need to work on that when you go to the post. I'm gonna do my best. I'm joking. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud, and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. I'm gonna introduce <laughs> I'm gonna introduce my guest right now. Sachin Lati is a law enforcement officer in Canada. I don't know what's in the water lately, but a lot of Canadians have been blowing in my direction and I'm okay with that because I love I love I love Canada. Yeah. I've never been, but I really think Canada is the place well, to be. I'm going to start you're not, too, with that. you're not too far off, so you're in LA, so you should just swing up swing on up here. Come hang out. I'm going to, and when I tell my audience what you do, um, they're all going to, I actually need to hide from you because you make me feel bad about myself. No, I'm going to make you so feel good. So he's a law enforcement officer. He is a, he's a veteran and he is an activist and he is not just like a kind of marathon runner, but when I tell you, I've done... I, I said three went before we talked. I've done two and a half marathons. I awesome. need to be transparent. I did a half marathon and two full. That's awesome. Um, Sachin is about to run 25 marathons back to back in August. So let's start there. Yeah. Let me just... Let me just start there. I know I'm skipping ahead, okay. but I really need to... I need to find out how you you are human are you drinking like dragon's blood? Like how does a human being do this? Let's start there. Okay. Let's start okay. there. Dragon blood, eh? Okay. So what, so I'm going to be running 21 marathons in 21 days in August. Um, why am I doing that? There's a few reasons. Um, one reason is to continue training because over the last uh, almost two years, I've been consistently training um, as it relates to ultra endurance running and ultra marathons. And so this is just the, um, not just, but um, August is another way for me to continue training to get to another level. But also at the same time, um, I'm a mental health advocate for first responders and veterans and, and emergency personnel. And I, I support a charity called Honor House Society. And it's based in, in the new Westminster area where I live. And what they do is they support all veterans, first responders, and emergency personnel with occupational stress injuries, PTSD, and various other mental health issues that they have. 
And what I'm doing is raising money and awareness for them by running these 21 marathons. And um, I live in a, a province uh, called British Columbia. It's, um, I live in a Vancouver area. So we're just north of you uh, in California. And if you know anything about this area, we get a lot of uh, wildfires. And every summer we get, like, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous how bad it gets here. And over the last couple of years, the wildfires have been a lot worse than, than normal. And, um, you know, I've been speaking to some of the firefighters and uh, the charity that I support, Honor House, and they were letting me know that, you know, all these firefighters across the province, um, you know, they've been fighting these fires nonstop throughout the fire season. And while they're doing that, they've been rendered homeless themselves. So part of what we're trying to do is um, I want to stop in various different towns across the province to raise that awareness um, to, I don't know, connect with people, I don't know, hang out, you know, just meet a, a bunch of cool people. And, and that's part of the reason. So I'll be running a marathon a day, stopping in each town, raising that awareness and, and connecting with some awesome people. So that's why I'm doing it. Okay. You're my best friend. Um, I love anybody that does what you, I mean, this is amazing. It really is. And I think you and I connected yep. because of Nathan and, um, I've interviewed a few people that are, you know, in the armed, uh, like I, I interviewed Will Hamino, who was in the September 11th attacks and was trapped under the rubble for 13 hours and escaped. And I'm, I adore him. I still keep in touch with him. Um, and then Nathan and, And now you and I say every time I love when I get a man on the podcast to talk about mental Mm -hmm. health, to talk about um, the the stigma, especially that men go through having to talk about their issues. And then on top of that, here are people that are fighting fires to save houses and land and save people's lives and um, police officers that are going like in Will's uh, for Will as an example into a a building that he knew an airplane flew into yeah. to risk his own life and his wife was pregnant at home, um, and just what what all of you go through every day, and and the impact of not being able to like talk about it because it's frowned upon. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear your own story, but I just have to start out and say you're a freaking badass. Oh, thank you. And I'm obsessed with you. I'm going to start there. <laughs> well, so um, let's talk about. I just need to. I need to say something. Go ahead. I need to go say ahead. something there. Um, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just doing my best. I'm not special. I'm. I'm just a guy doing my best every single day. So if if that's uh, cool, then anybody can do that. So that's awesome. But you say you're doing your best every single day. And yeah, that is doing your best, but that's doing like more than your best. And that's what we need more of you. And we need more of people that are like, I'm going to step up to the plate and I'm going to talk about my own story and like what I went through because I don't want other people to feel like they need to like leave the planet and not be here because they're struggling with their own mental health. Or you just brought up the example of these firefighters that are sitting there, like losing their own homes because they're trying to do what's right for other people. But yet, like, none, it's not acceptable for them all to talk to each other and talk about the pain 
of what they're going through on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, we're all human and our brains and our bodies can only take I so agree. much, right? Like we're eventually all going to snap. And you know what? That, that yeah. kind of happened to me. Okay. So let's hear your story. Cause I know this is a lot, was a very long winded intro, but like, it's yeah. very rare. I've been doing this since 2020 that I have anybody come on the podcast that tells me that they're going to run 21 marathons in a month. That just well, doesn't um, happen. When, when, so when I, I share I more, when I, awestruck. when I share more, um, you'll, you'll probably uh-huh. be floored to be honest. Um, when you hear the full story. Okay. I'm yeah. ready. Let's talk about, let's talk about like how, like where you're, like, I know you're Canadian. Talk about like where you're okay. from, kind of like how you got into law sure. enforcement. I'd love to know that. So I, uh, I was born in a, a town called London, Ontario, um, maybe a couple hours outside of the Toronto area. Uh, I was born in 1978, so I'm 45 years old. Um, and I was uh, born into an immigrant family. Both my parents were born in India. And um, my mom immigrated from India when she was about 12 to England. And my dad left England when he was about 19. And he went to, uh, so he left India when he was 19 to move to England. Um, I have an older brother. Um, so yeah, so we, I grew up in the Toronto area. My dad was uh, an engineer. Um, you know, he, he eventually got transferred to a company in the States. So I had lived in, I went to Dallas and I, I went to high school in Dallas, Texas. And um, yeah, and I had, you know, what do I say about my upbringing? I, my parents were amazing, awesome people. They worked really hard, but they were um, they had their own struggles. And um, and my dad had a lot of struggles. And you know, um, he he left India at a, a young age, and he he moved to England when it wasn't in an environment that would be very um, receptive to uh, an immigrant, especially from India. So he he was treated pretty poorly over that um, you know sixty years ago in England. And, um, you know, through that grind, he got an education, he got a scholarship, you know, he did various different things, but he was traumatized, I think, from a lot of stuff. And some of that stuff kind of got passed on to my brother and myself uh, from time to time. And uh, my dad, you know, would drink and um, look, he wasn't uh, abusive all the time, but, um, you know, when he was, it wasn't pleasant. And so I grew up in that environment. My parents were fairly strict. I didn't really get much... um, quote unquote freedom, I guess you could say, uh, growing up as a kid. Um, I was bullied uh, quite a bit when I left the Toronto area and moved to Dallas, Texas. I was one of the only people of color in the area. I'm not sure if that, actually, you know what? I don't even want to say that. I was just bullied. I, I, I was bullied a lot. I don't know if it was because of my skin tone, but I was just a, a person, right? And that affected me quite a bit. Um, grade nine and 10, I didn't really have very many friends and um, bullied quite a lot. And you know, fortunate for me, um, the guidance council at school was like, hey, we have a wrestling team, so maybe try that out. So I joined the wrestling team and slowly made some friends and, and um, you know, eventually started doing a little bit better. But uh, at the time, my dad was working for a company and he ended up getting laid off right before he was able to get his green card. So that kind of turned our family upside down. And um, my dad didn't really have too many options at that point. They gave him a severance package and they were like, my dad had to make a decision. Do I take the entire family back to Canada or stay in the States and do something? So my dad thought staying in the States was the best decision. So he invested in a business and he was, he opened up a restaurant and uh, he was an engineer and he didn't know anything about business. And it wasn't even an Indian restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was an Italian one. (laughs) 
So, so let's, uh, so he started that lots of stress, you know, that was kind of uh, not a very pleasant environment, but over a period of time, my dad made it a success. Myself and my mom, we would work there. And um, eventually he did pretty good and he wanted to open another one. So that's where things really started falling apart because he bought another one and that didn't do well. And then financially everyone lost everything. And then, um, you know, uh, we ended up moving into a hotel for a period of time because we couldn't, you know, just lost everything. And um, so it was me, my brother, actually, my brother had moved back to Canada to go to uni university. So I was living in a hotel room. My mom and dad were in another hotel room in the same hotel that we were living in. And we were there for about a year. And then um, long story short, my brother uh, eventually moved back and he and I were talking about, hey, man, we got to start figuring out what we're going to do with our lives here. Uh, You know, I'm sitting around 20 years old, partying, drinking, acting like an ass pretty much all the time. And um, my parents eventually sold all their things, whatever they had left and moved to India just to kind of, I don't know, survive, right? And my brother and I got a U-Haul truck, put everything in it and drove from Dallas, Texas to the Va- uh, Vancouver, Canada. And, and then we just came here and, and just kind of set up shop. And I was still kind of struggling quite a bit mentally, like my mental health really wasn't squared away. And the reality is I, I have significant anxiety and depression and I didn't really know that. And I used to, um, mm-hmm. I used to drink quite a bit just to kind of manage it. Now, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I would just drink because I'm having a good time. But now that I reflect back, I never liked drinking. I just would only drink just to calm down so I can go somewhere or feel more comfortable to go somewhere. So, um, so yeah, I started doing that. This is everything you're saying is so yeah. common, you know, especially being, male going through the bully stuff. Our brains aren't fully developed for boys till 27 years old. The drinking alcohol is a bandaid. We think it's going to make things better and not have to deal with, with what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, having to live in a hotel and, and just all of that stuff being pulled out. Like that's, that's, that's full on trauma. That's a lot of trauma for a young kid to go through yeah. by the age of yeah. 20. No, yeah, for sure. I, I, I never, look, um, I'm still in the process of unpacking a lot of my shit, to be honest. Um, it's only been really. Mm-hmm. We all are. It's only, <laughs> yeah. it's only yeah. been two years since I've immersed myself in this. Like I've immersed myself. Yeah. And it's only been two years and it'll probably take me another 30, 40 years to kind of square myself away to be managed. But I do recognize, oh, wait a second. That's not normal. That's not normal. That's not normal. I didn't address any of these things. Okay, now we need to start unpacking them and addressing them. So that's the process I'm kind of in right now, but also training. So anyways, back to where I was, I was um, anyways, we moved to Vancouver, kind of struggled a bit there, had odd jobs, this, that and the other, still partying, drinking, acting like an asshole. Um, and then eventually my parents moved back to Canada we kind of all moved in together. And so in, 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 in Vancouver area, it's very expensive and to buy a house is really hard. And, um, at the time we didn't have any money. So a lot of places here, either apartments or people rent out their basements, like basement suites so that you can have a, a place to stay. So mm-hmm. my, my brother, myself and my parents, we all moved in together in a basement suite, a two bedroom basement suite. Um, mind you, I'm 22 and my brother's 26 and my parents are there. Like we're all, <laughs> it was a hot mess, hot mess. And yeah. then, um, yeah. long story short, my dad, man, I love my dad and I, I respect him a lot, even despite a lot of things. And, um, and you know, he was really disappointed in it. 
and me and where I found myself at, at life at that time, like I was really doing nothing. I was really, it, I was abusing alcohol quite a bit, right? And um, so he suggested, hey man, and I have a family history of military service and police service. My dad's family, a lot of it in India were um, served. And um, and to with great distinction, to be honest, like um, a lot of like very impressive sort of service family like family members have had. So my dad was like, "Why don't you just join the military?" Like in a whim, like, he's like just do something, go right. I was like, "Okay." So I went to the recruiting office. I um, I applied to join the military, and they have a school called the Royal Military College, the equivalent to West Point or one of these types of schools. And I got in surprisingly and uh so i but i i um i still hadn't squared away my mental health so i'm going there um i'm still yeah. drinking quite a lot and so i ended up washing out like I, I went to school like all the military stuff i was doing okay in in terms of the training but when it came to the academics and getting back to school i just couldn't do it like i was drinking all the time and and i i ended up uh getting released from the military after a year and a half because i just couldn't maintain the academic portion of it and um that so again that really messed me up i'm in kingston ontario which is on the other side of the country where my family was living in vancouver i was in kingston so that would be like the equivalent of being let's say la to buffalo right and uh so so really yeah, far. far away right yeah. so um i'm there yeah. and and i'm like i can't really call my family because they're gonna be like man you're such a loser you f this up too like it was it's like getting into like west point man it's like a big deal right so I, uh, I was like, yeah. I can't even, you know, communicate. So I stayed in, in Kingston, Ontario, odd jobs, eventually got homeless again for, for a little bit there. Um, just because I couldn't, um, I just wasn't making much money. And then eventually I got lucky. I was dormant at a bar and, and, um, one of the bar, uh, bar, um, what do you call it? The uh, DJ was like, Hey man, I got a room you can crash in if you want. So I crashed with him for a month or two and that wasn't even good either. I mean, a bunch of dudes in their twenties, dirty and this whatever. Right. So it got to a point where I was like, okay, man, I, uh, I gotta go home. <laughs> so I called my parents and, and I was like, yeah. So I ended up, they sent me a ticket and went back home. My parents were starting to get sorted out. My brother was doing better. So they ended up having bought a house and all that kind of stuff. And, I was like, I came back and, and they gave me a, a safe place to stay so that I can kind of get my stuff together and then maybe get back into school. And I started doing that and slowly, incrementally, I kind of started improving. And then I ended up, you know, started getting decent grades. And then I applied for my job with, uh, with the Canada Border Services Agency, which is like the Immigration and Customs Patrol. And I, I got the job. I started doing that. I, and, you know, things start looking okay. You know, I wasn't really drinking as much, but I would still drink, you know, on weekends or whatever. Right. And, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, getting married, bought a house, all the things, you know, I thought everything was good, but really, you know, the thing I had band-aids over things, you know? And yeah. so I, now I'm, I'm married and things are stressful because I was really not a good husband, to be honest. I, you know, I was, I wasn't a good husband and, uh, I cheated on my wife. I, you know, I had all these types of bad behaviors, um, as it relates to my own self-worth and self-esteem and confidence. And, and they manifested in negative ways that affected my ex-wife in a way that really didn't make me feel good. So we ended up going through a separation and, and a divorce. And um, that's where things really started shifting, or at least I started making um, 
efforts towards trying to figure out what was going on, right? And because um, I know I'm not a bad guy. I know that to, to my core. I just didn't know why I would have certain behaviors that were um, self-destructive and why I was continuing to do them over and over and over again. So um, we ended up getting separated and divorced, but it's so it just so happened during the pandemic. So now we, you know, my, my yeah. ex-wife and I, we had a house. We had bought a house and the pandemic kicks off and we also had a basement suite in the house. So we, at the time, if you had a tenant and you won and they didn't want to pay rent, they could squat because of the pandemic. So, you know, we, my ex and I had a discussion and we came to agreement to say, okay, you know what, I'll move into the basement suite. I'll pay the rent. And that way, you know, and I have a, at the time, my daughter was about two or three, two at the time. And so it just, it just made sense. So I could be around co-parent and whatever. So it worked out that way. But for my ex-wife and myself, probably, I think, um, well, for sure for myself, I can't speak for her. I would suspect it wasn't the ideal scenario for her. And I know. Well, also in Canada, weren't you stuck? Like, I know people that, like, you couldn't go anywhere yeah, yeah. so that must have been overwhelming so it got so bad where um i felt like garbage right and now i'm in the basement suite and i feel like garbage 24 7 and i couldn't even escape that feeling right and um every day i felt like a anxiety attack or a panic attack or something was happening almost every single day and it got to the point where I ended up having a major depressive episode and I had to go see a doctor and I had to go get medicated and the whole nine yards. And then once I started really unpacking things, seeing my psychologist, really starting to read more books, um, it's really when I started, I read two books, um, well, one one book and two chapters. <laughs> I picked up uh, Jocko Willink, uh, his book, Extreme Ownership. And um, for, for your listeners, okay. if, if you don't know who he is, Jocko Willink is a retired Navy SEAL. He's also, he also used to be, I think he was a member of uh, SEAL Team 6. And he used to be a leadership trainer within the SEAL program. And he um, he's written multiple books. And he, a lot of his sort of conversations is all about leadership, right? And I read this book, Extreme Ownership. And that, you know, I read it cover to cover and I started owning things. And I started taking responsibility for uh, who I was and my actions and how they manifested and, th- and how they affected other people. So I started doing that. And then, you know, I, that gave me a little bit of breathing room to kind of start, you know, moving in a, in a certain direction. Now, at this time, I told myself, you know what, I'm not going to drink. It's not drinking at all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I knew if I started drinking in that mindset, man, it would have been a wrap. It would have been game over. It would have been done. So I knew that much. So I didn't drink. And then, then I got another book. Um, actually, before that second book, I was watching a lot of lectures from Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist. He used to be a professor at the University of yeah. Toronto. And now he does a lot of, you know, just a lot of, a lot of sort of, um, well, ownership, just being an individual, how to be the best individual you can. So I, I started diving deep in some of those lectures. And then I bought this uh, book uh, by David Goggins called um, Can't Hurt Me. And David Goggins, for your listeners, is also another um, Navy SEAL, um, ultra-endurance athlete who um, basically tests his mental mental state every single day through physical activity. 
And um, so that book really spoke to me. I read the first two chapters and uh, he's gone through some trauma and, and some of it resonated with me. So I, um, you know, I, I, I dove deep there. And, I, and it's, so for your listeners, um, I'm 45. I started running two years ago. I wasn't a runner. Okay. First of all, you don't look 45 yeah. too. You Thank look you. very young. I'm we're, we're, well, you're, I'm a little bit older than you, but like you look good for your age Thank compared you. to a lot of men that I see. Um, sure. I, I, I want to say a couple things. Sure. I love your story. I find it fascinating that it was like all these little things that were like you f- fell down and then you picked yourself up and then you fell down again and then you were homeless at one point and then you were living in a hotel and then you had been bullied as a kid. It's like all of these things that I think a lot of my list, this is why I do this. So my listeners understand like the the amount of the population, like bull, like hurt people, hurt people. I say this all the time. Hurt people, hurt people. So there's a reason why somebody's a bully. They're not happy mm-hmm. with themselves or they're insecure or whatever it is. I went through my own period in my own life. And I've talked about this in like probably high school, maybe a little bit in college. I was bullied from like fourth to like sixth or seventh grade. I had a bowl cut and buck teeth and I was chubby and like that pain has stuck with me. It's still that little girl in my head on top of that, the massive amounts of loss and trauma I went through that sneaks up. And when you said, Oh, I've been working on this for two years or I've been in therapy for two years. I don't care like how long somebody has been in therapy. It could be like one month But when you get to the point of your life, and I really believe when people get annoyed when somebody says this, everything happens for a reason. I really believe it. So I believe when you finally got to that point where you were like, I cheated on my wife. I was in a basement. I was at the lowest point of my life. You should have called me, by the way, because I was at the lowest point of my life in 2020 as well. I was having massive panic attacks. I was suicidal. I spent six months of my life thinking, how do I get out of here? What do I do? I, I like could not escape these feelings and this horrible, horrible depression. And then your story about picking up this book and how a book or a, or two chapter or a chapter in a book can like significantly change the direction of our life you know, or like how we were like perceiving how our life is supposed to be. And I just find that fascinating that, you know, a book like I, there's a book that I read by a guest of mine. Um, her name's Nina, Nina Sossaman Pogue. And I recommend this book a lot. The book's called, this is not the end. And I'm not trying to interrupt your story, but I will tell you, I read that book from cover to cover There's like notes. It's a very quick read. And it talks about life just being like a fraction of time, like something can go wrong. And in her situation, she hit a child and the child almost died. She ran the child over and the child's still alive. And she didn't, she was like, I can't go on. And then she started breaking down how life is just like a fraction of time. So all of these things leading up to where you got to that point where you were drawn 
I'm supposed to read this book. I'm supposed to do this. This is how this piece of the puzzle, this is how the puzzle pieces are all going together. And my story matters. And the bullying and the and the pain of like my family and the alcoholism and the drinking and the escaping into alcohol. This is all like how your story from before you even were on this planet was supposed to go to get to where we're about to go with your story right now. So my big mouth had to interrupt you. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, yeah, okay. I had to I say that. that. No, I, and I appreciate it. And I thank you for saying it because, um, like I said, I'm relatively new in this sort of space, if you want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm having revelations almost every week in terms of like perspective. And I, we hear it all the time, um, you know, and you said it earlier about um, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason if you decide it to happen for a reason. After. Yes. So if something happens for a reason, yeah. you have to objectively look at what's happened and then make a decision on what to do after it. So that's awesome. So so now, okay, there's more to the story, though. <laughs> Let me share some more. No, um, go think, ahead. But I had to stop you uh, and say that because I just, yeah. I I like when I meet people and I'm like, well, the, I just, ha- I can't shut my mouth when I hear things like that. No, so awesome. proceed. I love it. Proceed. <laughs> so, you know, so I, um, 
so I read this book and then I started, I just started running just a couple of years ago. And why, so the underlying theme in, in that book by David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, is um, essentially do hard things, chase adversity. I interpreted that as physical adversity. I interpret it very differently now. But at that time, I was so self-consumed uh, by my own self that that's all I saw. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, oh, well, I hate running. Let me do that, right? So um, I started running. I, 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 I scheduled myself to – now, just for your listeners, I'm not new to physical activity. I've uh, been involved in some form of physical activity for 15, 20 years, right? I used to compete in bodybuilding, jiu-jitsu athlete in competitions, and – so, but running was never a thing for me. I used to wrestle in high school and I was the worst runner on the team. Like everyone would be ahead of me. Right? So it wasn't like a thing. I always hated it. So um, I scheduled myself to do th- uh, three, five kilometer runs a week, which is just over three miles. So um, 3.11 miles. And um, I would do that in about 35, 40 minutes. And that's not super fast. It's just whatever. Right. But I just kept doing it. And I didn't have the kit. I, I didn't have, look, I don't have much money at all. And I didn't have money then. And I was wearing shoes that were probably 10 years old. And, but I just did it. I got up and did it. Right. And um, I took action. And through that process, I, I know what kind of person I am. I dive deep. And when it comes to the nuance and very small sort of intricate details of things, I really dive deep. I'm not really a social person. I just, naturally i'm not a social person so i just dive deep into these types of things so i continued running continued running and after about two or three months i was like look man uh, let's see if i can run 21 kilometers so a half marathon and it wasn't a race i didn't schedule a race or i said okay i'm gonna do it on this day and i scheduled a day and i did it and that specific day was raining it was garbage outside it was probably i think it was in november a couple years ago and it was first but I went out, it took me about two and a half, three hours at night after my shift of work. I was at work from six in the morning, got home at, uh, at 4 p.m. I went to the gym, lifted, and then I went and did 21K run. And it was freaking hard. <laughs> I'd never done that in my entire life. I had a bad day that day. My ex-wife, um, you know, wasn't pleasant towards me as she, I wouldn't expect her to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was in my basement and I was like, F this, man. I, I, I was in my head is either go grab a drink or go for a run or do something stupid. So I went for a run, right? That, that was my, my um, coping mechanism at that moment. And through the process, you know, hour into it, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Hour and a half, two hours. Now I'm in pain. I'm struggling. I'm talking to myself. I'm like, yeah, you can do it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Ended up doing it. And after I'd ran that 21K, I don't think I've ever felt that proud of myself ever. Because I ne- no one told me to do it. Um, I did something I never thought in a million years I would do. And like, people think that I'm always doing all this kind of crazy stuff. I'm not a runner. So for me, that, that was extremely difficult. And so that gave me something internally. So I continued with it, kept going, kept going. And uh, in February of 2020, Two. No, 21. February 2021. 
I've so I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, if you if you've heard of him, he's got one of the bigger podcasts on the planet. And yeah. he had this he had this um he had this guy named Cameron Haynes on his podcast. And Cameron Haynes is a in his fifties, an ultra endurance athlete. He's a bow hunter, all these kinds of things, right? And when I was listening, so an ultra endurance, uh, sorry, ultra marathon is fifty kilometers or more. Now I don't know what that is in miles, but it's a lot. And so this guy, Cameron Haynes when he's training for an ultra, he would run, he would do 100 mile races, right? Or 200 mile races. So he, for training for those, he would run a marathon every day, 42 kilometers, right? Working a full-time job and he's in his fifties. So I don't know how people do this. How do well, you do this? You make time for it and you figure it out. Well, let me just go backwards really, really quickly. Just, I I have to say one thing. I was just Mm -hmm. like you. I'm not like just like you because I don't run at all, nor have I run. I was running a few years ago and then I stopped. I don't want to hurt anything. I'm too old. The town, like that, that ship has sailed for me. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there for one second, if you don't mind. Go ahead. If you don't mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not any better than you or anybody else that's listening to this thing. I'm not. Uh-huh. The only difference the only difference between me and you is that I didn't stop. I kept going. That's it. But but let me just I, ask it, it you this. <laughs> okay. okay, go ahead. Go ahead because I ran marathons. What I was going to say is I got I was never a runner as a kid. I hated running. I hated PE. I was a dancer. I did all of that stuff. I would do it, but I was like, I hated it. I played field hockey in high school, um, you know, lacrosse, whatever it was. I did the running that I had to do. And then one day, like you, I ran, I trained for the a, a marathon for AIDS Project LA. And I remember the first like time I ran three miles, I was like, oh my God, I just ran three miles. I couldn't believe it. And my husband said, he know he know he knows how to like get me to do stuff. When somebody tells me no, I go, oh no, 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 it's happening. And I've been like this my whole life. If you tell me I can't do something, oh, I'll do it. Cause I'm that's just how I roll. And so I trained and I did a method where you walk where you run five and you walk one. I forget what it's called. That's how I trained my body to run the first marathon. And I ran that first marathon in five hours and 30 minutes. And at the end of it, what you said is I bawled crying. For me, it was like a spiritual awakening almost of some of people telling me my whole life, like, you're not a runner. Like, you're not smart. Like, I'm somebody that I have attention deficit. I was diagnosed in seventh grade. Like, I was always told, no, you're not this. You're not that. You're not that. And when I ran ran that first marathon, like you said, I was like, I did it. Like, I did this. And aside from having a baby, that was pretty much like one of the best moments of my entire life. Because no one made you do it. You did it yourself. I did it myself. So that's what I wanted to say. And I was kind of half joking, like, about not running now. If I wanted to run and train again, I would do it. Um, and maybe I will. Like maybe I. This will be my thing where I'm like, oh, I'm going to do one more marathon before I'm 50 years old. You know, you never know. So I, I well, love that me, you said that, though. Go ahead. Well, no, for me, I think it's not about the running or whatever, but whatever mm-hmm. will get you to develop and grow. And usually, mm-hmm. the growth comes from difficult things. 
And usually mm-hmm. difficult things for most people is physical activity, most of the mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. And or at least it's the really common denominator for every single person. Physical activity is hard. Just depends on how far you want to take it. But but no, for sure. So what I did was with that Cameron Haynes guy, I I, I wanted to start learning about because when I heard that this guy's running a marathon a day, then that told me it's possible. People do that. There's thousands, millions of people that do it. So that made it more uh, it normalized it for me. So then I started thinking, how can I do that? So then I started creating a plan to do that. And then I so what I did was in February of 2021, I scheduled a 10 week plan to go from 11 kilometers every single day of running to 21 kilometers every single day of running. So that's what I did because I couldn't. Wait, like I was what so is muted. 21 kilometers is a, is a marathon, 13 miles. right? Thir- 13 oh, miles. that's 13 miles. So 13 miles so a day. So yeah. a half marathon. Okay. Yeah. Because I wasn't quite, I didn't have enough um, knowledge to think I could get to the marathon a day. So I just started with a, uh, a, a goal that I thought I could achieve, but that was still high. Right. So, so I eventually, so get this, I would work full time, 10 hour shift. Um, I had a daughter that I had to help take care of. I'm a canine handler. So I was taking care of my dog. And I ran those 21 kilometers every single day, right? So now it wasn't pretty. It was struggle. I wasn't sleeping much because I was dealing with a lot of garbage, but Mm -hmm. I did, right? Now what that, but for me, that elevated me again. I set a new baseline. I set a new baseline. What was my normal standard? Now I can't do anything less than that. That's my standard now. Because if I go lower than that, then that means I'm not improving anymore. I'm just staying, I'm getting worse. So I have to improve. So then I can, so then I saw when I, I was able to achieve that piece, I was like, okay, what, what else can I do to leverage more positivity through this? So then I, I started thinking about, okay, well, you know what? I kept hearing these ultra marathon, hundred kilometers, this, that, and the other. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me run a hundred. And so uh, I scheduled myself to run a hundred kilometers during veteran week. We have a, a day called a, Vet, a remembrance day in Canada in the mm-hmm. United States veteran day. And, yeah. um, so what I wanted to do is run a hundred kilometers that, that day, but not like on a specific day to raise money for veterans and, 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 uh, first responders with PTSD. So I, I, um, I ran from this, uh, town called Chilliwack to the Vancouver airport on the 7th of November, 2021. I ran 100 kilometers and raised $21,000 for the BC Yukon Legion that supports veterans and first responders with PTSD. Now, as soon as I did that, my entire perspective in life shifted. I've been working in law enforcement for 18 years. That day, I knew I didn't want to do that job anymore, but I didn't know how to do what I wanted to do. So that's when the mission started to create what I want to do with the rest of my life. I was so depressed and isolated at that time. My friends of 18 years through law enforcement were slowly just kind of gone, right? And I was super isolated, super isolated, very depressed. And I felt like I couldn't relate to anyone because I was doing this thing and doing these types of things. And I, I came across um, this veteran um, through social media, a Canadian veteran. Um, his name's Sean Taylor, um, and he saved my life. So what happened was, uh, so after the 7th of November, we connected in December of 2021. And we, he lives about 10-hour drive from where I live. And he uh, he was in the area on in December, and he and I went for a coffee and just met for the first time. 
we connected on Instagram, but for the first time in person. And now why, why this was a, a big deal for me is because when I read his bio on Instagram, it said uh, former tier one operator, warrant officer, uh, S, S, uh, SOF, so special. Uh, so he's a special forces uh, tier one operator from uh, JTF2, which JTF2 is Joint Task Force 2. It's Canadian uh, Special Forces equivalent to SEAL Team 6 in the United States. Okay. So it's like big deal. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And he's 60, so he's retired, right? So when I met with him, um, I found out he, he was selected to be on that team when it was first created. So he sat down, we talked, and um, we had a great conversation for about three hours. After he left, I or before he left, I was like, hey, man, um, is it cool if we keep talking? He's like, yeah, if you think it'll help. And I was like, yeah, I think it'll help. So almost every single day for two to three months, we would Zoom call each other and, and he would talk to me. And um, without his help, I 1,000% would not be doing what I'm doing. And I don't know if I'd be where I am right now. Now, having said that, he wasn't only a special forces guy, but he was also, um, you know, entrepreneur, did various other things. And in his 40s, he became a uh, ultra endurance athlete himself. And um, when he was 42, he started to do uh, 24 hour solo mountain bike races. And so, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> so you're in the mountains and you're riding your bike for 24 hours, going down, up and down, all kinds of crazy nonsense. And um, he's done a bunch of those. He's done 48-hour ones and other craziness. And he eventually became a world champion in that. And he also became, uh, after he did that, he, um, you know, he dove deep in there and he became a world-class elite performance coach for athletes all over the world. And he trained um, six world champions in the sport that he learned. And so he performance coached me out of where I was. And he helped me realize what my purpose in life is and kind of turn down the white noise and, and, and execute against what I'm meant to do. And yeah. what I established was what I established was that I would just want to maximize my skill sets for the people around me, do the best that I can every single day. And what I've determined that to be is so last year, 2022, I did an ultra marathon every single month from March until November, raising money for this charity. So every month I ran a significant amount in one day. And then I ended up raising about $15,000 for the charity uh, by the end of the year. And so that, you know, part of my training. So, so my ultimate goal, I mean, I, you, you probably don't know this because you haven't mentioned it yet. The 21 marathons is a stopgap to my actual ultimate goal in 2025, which is to break the record for the fastest run across Canada in 66 days. So that's 7,300 kilometers in 66 days. That would be 108 kilometers every single day for 66 days to raise awareness that's for insane. mental health. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah so I didn't know that piece. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's the ultimate. Now, I don't know if I can do it. I'm quitting my job, training full time, putting everything into this to see if it's possible. Now, what I do know now is that in a year and a half, I've gone from zero running to I can run 50 kilometers every single day now in just under two years. So if you give me three years, and that's all pretty much by myself. Now, if you give me three more years, now I've hired a running coach, strength conditioning coach, kinesiologist, all these other pieces are now implemented in my regime. I think I can get pretty close. If I can't break the record, I'm sure as hell going to inspire a ton of people and let people know that, hey, anything's possible if you go all in 
and you do it with conviction and you do it with purpose. So my goal is to not, have you heard of a guy named Terry Fox? I haven't. Okay. So I'm so thankful that you live in the United States because now I can share who Terry Fox is to you. And then maybe some of your listeners can learn about this person who's an amazing person, um, okay. an inspiration and an idol to every Canadian who's ever lived. Okay. okay. Terry Fox was, died 40 years ago. He had cancer. He had his left, uh, I can't remember which leg, but one of his legs was amputated because of that cancer. He wanted to start something called the Marathon of Hope. In 1982, he started running across Canada with one leg. And he was running a marathon a day until he died halfway across the country. That's what, um, that's where I come from. That's the people that I belong to. That's what being Canadian is. And doing other things for other people with the skill sets that I have. So my goal is to run across this country like Terry Fox. Terry Fox, since he's died, has raised $1 billion for cancer research. Since he's been dead. That wasn't, when he was, that wasn't even when he was alive. So now, if we can do 1% of what Terry Fox did, man, we, we're doing pretty good. We can raise a lot of money. Can I ask you a question? When Absolutely. you're running... Do you, I mean, because that, I, I think my jaw is like on the ground from these the stories and just like the determination I, and that you've done all of these things and why you're doing it and how you're helping people. But when you run, does your, do you feel like the, the, like, I mean, I know that exercise helps my mental health and it helps the studies are, you should exercise for your mental health, but is it like something where you're like, I am doing this. And then at the end of the day, even though your physical body might be in like severe agony from running that much, what does it do to your head? Like, does, like, how do you run for that long? Like, I know when I'm doing something, like I go on my speed walks now, cause that old lady style, like I like to do speed walks and I walk really far, but I always feel like my creative like juices are like really like going into place. And I think about like my book and I think about like what I'm going to write. And I think about like, you know, all of these different things. What do you think about? I mean, you're a father, you're doing something to help other people. Like, can you tell me like some of the things like you might think about? And if that, if I'm going in the right direction with this absolutely. questioning? No, it's a great question. I'm absolutely obsessed with what I'm doing. Absolutely mm -hmm. obsessed. Like, um, I don't know how to articulate it more than that. Like my purpose is this. My purpose is not my daughter. I love my daughter. She's my child. But my purpose is what I'm doing. And so when I'm running, what do I think about? Um, so today, I, I mean, so I guess we got to re-qualify that question. If when I'm running, let's say for 100 kilometers, what am I thinking about? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, it depends. It goes in shifts, right? So purpose gets me through everything it's my mm -hmm. purpose helping people if i don't run 100 kilometers that means someone isn't going to be helped i feel an obligation to do it it's my job 
it's my job to do this. So when I go for a 10 hour shift in law enforcement, arresting people or doing whatever, that's my job. There's nothing I'm thinking about. It's how do I do my job better? How do I affect that better? That's kind of what I do now. So when I'm running, I'm like, I want to get started. Like, I want to start that 21 marathons now. I just want to go. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a caged racehorse. Like, that's how I feel all the time. But when I'm going, th- actually, I'll give, you an, um, I'll give you a story about the last one, what I was thinking about. So on November 6th, I was running a 90-kilometer run from uh, Chilliwack to New Westminster. The weather was garbage. It was snow, sleet, I, like it was garbage. And so when you're running for that distance, you know, nutrition plays a big part and electrolytes and all these types of how much Mm -hmm. you sweat and all this kind of stuff. Right. So I still haven't really dialed it all in. I'm still learning my body as it relates to this stuff. So I know electrolytes are super important. So I started implementing a bit more than I should have. So for the first three hours of that run, I'm like, oh, yeah, great. Electrolytes all day. And then around 40 kilometers, then my body starts seizing up. Yeah. And the electrolytes stiffening up my body. So on that run, I was thinking about, holy crap, what's happening? Because I never, I didn't know what was going on. I'm probably, I was trying to problem solve within the run itself as to what was happening. Because I couldn't stop because I can't stop. So I have to figure out what to do. So I problem solved and eventually figured out, okay, I got to flush my body out with water, right? Keep drinking, keep drinking. And eventually I figured it out. But a year ago or two years ago, I would have been like, oh, I can't go anymore. I got to stop. The reality is you can do a lot more than you actually think you can. Another example of that. This morning I was at the gym and um, there's a young trainer, young girl. She's 24 years old. Last week I, or two weeks ago, I, um, on February 22nd, I did an uh, initiative with a bunch of other people across North America. Did a 22 push-up challenge, raising awareness for veteran suicide. Um, 22 uh, veterans a day commit suicide. So we were going to do 22 push-ups to, you know, kind of highlight that. And I was doing it with the community of people that don't know anything about it. A lot of people in the gym, fitness type of people that don't know anything about it. So I brought a bunch of these people together so we could do 22 push-ups together. This 24-year-old uh, trainer, female, couldn't do 24. At least that's what she told, or 22, that's what she told me. I was like, cool, that's cool, whatever. I saw her today and I go, hey, Amber, how many push-ups can you do? She's like, I don't know. I go, let's find out right now. So she did, she knocked out two because she thought she couldn't do any. She thought she couldn't do any. I was like, let's go, let's see. And she, she knocked out two and I was like, ah, you could do 10, no problem. And then I walked off. For the rest of the, while I was doing cardio, she was knocking out push-ups. She ended up doing 15. She never thought wow. she could do anything. All you have to do is ask the question and start trying, that's it. As soon as you do that, you'll see it. Like. I could get her to do 30 push-ups if I wanted to. All, and if I sat there with her, I could get her to do 30. But all it took was a couple words from me, and she got 15. She never thought she could do that. Anybody can do anything. I love just that. Fine. Yeah, and I love that. I love the story about how you're so determined and, like, just, you know, suicide prevention is my passion. Um And I just think everything you're doing is pretty miraculous. And when you talk about like, well, I can't do it. Well, yes, you can. I mean, the mind is a very, very cool thing. I'll say that. Um, For the sake of time, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say, I want to make sure my audience and my listeners uh, know where to follow you. 
So can you give me like where people can follow you and how they can get involved in it's honor house, correct? Yes. Just so you know, honor house services, any first responder. So if an American's up here visiting and they run into any troubles, they'll house them there too. So it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So, um, where you can follow me. So I want, uh, I'd love for people to start uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel because over the next five or six years, the goal is to create a platform there where we can generate some money for, for the charity. So the goal is to eventually have 1 million subscribers on the YouTube channel, tracking all the adventurous, fun stuff that I'm doing and inspirational stuff that some people might think that I'm doing. And then that way we can start reinvesting that money into the community. So please, if anyone wants to, they can go to my uh, YouTube channel, Such in Motion on YouTube. Also my Instagram account, such.in.motion. Um, everything's there. All the sort of like um, my li- uh, link tree has where you can donate, uh, podcasts, publications, media, all that kind of stuff. And if you want to, you can go to my website, suchinmotion.ca. Everything's up there explaining who I am, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Well, I'm incredibly honored to meet you and I think you're freaking badass and I love like oh. what you're doing and the more people that live purpose-driven lives, the better off as a society we will be. And I say it all the time, like we only our lives are so short. Like, you know, very quickly passing when you're in your 40s, you're like, "Okay, I don't have that much. Live your life like doing something good." And selfishly, I say this all the time. I do this podcast because I I know I'm supposed to be doing this. I know I'm supposed to be having stories like yours, Sachin. Like I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm extremely passionate about this, just like you are with what you're doing. So thank you again. And I might go running later. I'm joking. I'm not going running. Well, maybe I will. I know I can do, I know I can do 10 push-ups. I wanted well, to brag I, I, about that. I just want to, before we leave, I want to just say thank you yeah. for, thank you for um, giving me time and space to just talk about my story. And thank you for, yeah, the opportunity to share and connect. And um, thank you. I, I can't wait to come down to California and visit because I, I plan on coming. To, well, I, I better plan- see you running here. <laughs> I know that, well, yeah right you know what actually the Joking. i5 actually the i5 uh, goes straight from uh bellingham all the way down to la actually okay so i have an assignment for you first you do canada and then you yeah. run the united states and on the way we can you can stop by and say hi um actually, thank I, you I again might do that, actually. You should. I, I now know that I can't tell, say no to anything you're going to do because I believe you and I know you're going to do it. So I don't yes. even have any doubts. Um, in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you so much. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.